1: Hello and welcome to Intelligence Squared, where great minds meet. I'm Head of Programming, Connor Boyle. Coming up on the podcast, a conversation about the work, lives and legacy of the Impressionists. This is an episode of Sotheby's Talks, the podcast series that takes listeners inside the world of Sotheby's. To listen to more episodes of Sotheby's Talks featuring the likes of Marina Abramovich, Mary McCartney, Paloma Picasso. Tracy Emin, Julianne Moore, Celeste and Helen Fielding. Just search Sotheby's Talks wherever you get your podcasts. For almost three centuries, Sotheby's has been the place to discover the greatest stories of creativity. We look after some of the world's finest treasures, which you can see in our galleries on any given day. Welcome to Sotheby's Talks, the podcast that celebrates art, culture and collecting. My name is Simon Shaw, and I want to invite you inside the world of Sotheby's, where you can find the extraordinary, from contemporary art, master paintings, to rare books, jewellery and memorabilia. I'm vice-chair of Sotheby's Fine Arts division, and during my 28-year tenure here, I've championed impressionist and modern art, setting new benchmarks for artists including Monet, Magritte, Munch, Giacometti and Kandinsky. On this podcast, the first in a new series focused on legacy, we're sharing some of the conversations we've been holding with our experts, along with the descendants of artists who shaped the history of art. In this episode, Helena Newman, Chairman of Sotheby's Europe, is joined by Paul Signac's great-granddaughter, Charlotte Hellman, photographer Eric Madigan-Heck, and the National Gallery's Chris Riapel, for a conversation about the revolutionary impact made by the Impressionists, These groundbreaking artists, Monet, Renoir, Degas, Bizarro and others, defied academic norms by their use of loose brushstrokes, a focus on light, and an emphasis on everyday modern life. They changed art forever, and their influence can be seen in the work of artists like Suha, Van Gogh, Degas, the Cubists and the Abstract Expressionists. This podcast was recorded at Sotheby's in London, to celebrate the 150th anniversary of Impressionism. Here's Helena with more.
2: We're really, really delighted to have you this evening for this discussion with a wonderful panel to celebrate 150 years of Impressionism and its legacy. Uh, We're very, very excited actually to explore this topic of Impressionism, its significance, which is still so relevant today. So for this conversation, we have a wonderful panel for you here tonight. Chris Riappel from the National Gallery. He is the Neil Westry Curator at of, of Post 1800 Paintings at the National Gallery. Thank you so much, Chris, for being with us here tonight. We're absolutely honored to have you. Uh, Chris co-curated the exhibition that many of you may have seen uh, last year after Impressionism, Inventing the Modern Art, and also curated a wonderful show in 2015 inventing Impressionism all around the story of Durand-Royal, the dealer. And we're looking forward, Chris, to your show, Van Gogh, Poets and Lovers, which opens here in London at the National Gallery, coinciding with their 200th year anniversary later this year. We have Charlotte Elman Cachin, the great-granddaughter of the neo-Impressionist Paul Signac. Uh, Charlotte curated the exhibition Signac, the Collector, at the Musée d'Orsay in 2021 and published the Signac Diaries and is director of the Signac Archives and is working on the catalogue resume. Um, And then thank you, Charlotte. Thank you for coming from Paris today. And then to give a kind of contemporary voice to this conversation, we are joined by the artist, Eric Madigan Heck. Thank you very much. Award-winning artist working in photography, painting and film. And you've had solo museum exhibitions at the Musée de Beaux Arts in Le Loc, Switzerland, and the Multimedia Arts Museum in Moscow, Russia. And you're also a writer, publisher, focusing actually on the influence of art on the history of fashion. So, for each of you, a quick, short kickoff question just to get going. And we'll start with Christopher.
0: Why is impressionism so important to you? For me, it is very important because. As I discovered when I was young, starting out on a career, that it is the first moment in modern history where artists understand things have changed. They have to be in control of their own careers. They have to be in control of how they're seen, who they're seen by, what, how they're spoken about, uh, and take charge. Thank you. Eric?
3: Oh, for me, I grew up with a mother who was an Impressionist painter. Um, I was making the joke that she was not from the eighteen hundreds, but um <laughs> my earliest childhood memories are of seeing the world through impressionist paintings around me.
2: Yeah. And um yes. <laughs> Charlotte what about you? When did you realize impressionism was so important? When I realized
4: how train stations were important and how modern they were. Um, because when you think about it, uh, at that time, uh, a train station was so, I mean, it talked about modernity in every way, in the architecture, but also in what happened, bringing in and out of the city masses of people. And that was so new. And I, I realized that painting a station
2: at that moment was really revolutionary. Yeah. Exactly, well, a lovely segue into the first question for Chris, thank you, Charlotte, which is why Impressionism was so revolutionary. Tell us a bit about the emergence of Impressionism and that kind of revolutionary moment.
0: Well, the, the uh, event that we're celebrating is the 150th anniversary of that first exhibition in April of 1874, when the artists came together ask their friend, the photographer Nadar, could they have a space in his very, very successful photography studio and mount an exhibition here. Famously, Monet showed this picture, Impression Sunrise, uh, in the, the work from which um, the, the, the movement took its name. We're often told, even to this day, that it was a, par- a sarcasm, satire, on the part of a critic to uh, call this movement Impressionism. He himself called picture Impressionism. Wily Impression. Wily old Monet fed a soundbite to a journalist, and the journalist took it up and said exactly what Monet wanted him uh, to say uh, about it. It's shocking, but it still happens today.
2: Yeah, no, I think many of us in this room have been taught art history that way around, so thank you
0: for (laughs) correcting us,
2: yes but but tell us a bit about that that moment in the 1870s because Monny had just returned from london didn't yes. he
0: yes uh that, that, well let me say quickly on the second exhibition in 76 this is the picture that really frustrated the critics with the light coming down through the trees they said it looked like decomposing flesh <laughs> uh, uh, and this is where it was this was where the the agitation really began between uh, the the more traditional critics, and the new audience that was, in fact, quickly building up for this new kind of painting. Uh, but, in fact, uh, key, key moments were in London. Uh, in 1870-71, uh, the artists fleeing the Franco-Prussian War came here, Daubigny, but most importantly, Monet and Pissarro, and so did the dealer Paul Durand-Ruel. And it is this we should remember. It is in London that Paul Durand Ruel meets both Monet and uh, uh, Pizarro. Monet drops by with this picture to show it to a gallery that Durand Ruel had Heated. rented uh, on Bond Street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Leaves this picture because Durand Ruel is not there at that moment. Durand Ruel realizes this is something extraordinarily new that in. Amazingly, he had not seen in Paris, and goes and finds Monet and buys the first pictures from him and then from Pizarro here in London. And it is here, within blocks, that he decides he has to do something about this new movement he's seeing. It's fascinating. And it's also in, in London, because he then starts bringing, Duranwell starts bringing over pictures. It's here in, uh, in London that the first and most important works are sold. Uh, but the, the, the key figure, and I keep coming back to him, is, uh, is Paul Durand-Ruel who takes up one after the other of the artists. Among those he first meets when he goes back is of course Renoir. He understands the important role that Renoir plays in works like his various dancers in establishing a connection between a new kind of painting, a new way of painting, and old, very French traditions, Hmm. Uh, dancing, elegance, the fête galante. He brings it into the 19th century as a part of modernism. Uh, And he is perhaps one of the most important in forging a way into this new art being understood. Uh, uh, Dugatou, one of the most important exhibitions The greatest exhibition of uh, impressionist art ever seen in the world takes place here in London in 1905. Again, three blocks away in Grafton Street, when Durand Ruel uh, brings it, only 13 pictures uh, are sold in that, none to a British buyer. Still in, but still uh, it (laughs) was in London.
2: You have to count that. It was. was. I mean, because we always think about you know impressionism going to New York. With Durand, well, and being, you know, taking the artist there. But actually, the 1905 Grafton Gallery
0: show was extraordinary yes. avant garde for the time. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this, uh, this picture was uh, proposed for, uh, this is a shameful moment, I have to tell you, it's proposed for a, a, to be bought for the National Gallery by public subscription. And the National Gallery trustees preempted this by saying we would not have a Monet yeah. in the National Gallery. Again, we come back to this man, Durand Ruel, who was more, one of, perhaps we could say, one of the first lifestyle dealers because he had his gallery, but he also had this apartment on the, on the Rue de Rome. This is a family apartment. You could go there if you were a good client or if he thought you might be and see the way his family lived with Renoirs with Monet's, all those doors that you see in that room are decorated by Monet with flower pictures, a a typical uh, Haute Bourgeois French context. So you could not, you didn't didn't have to worry about buying these uh, modern uh, modern pictures. This was particularly true when his great friend, the American Mary Cassatt, brought Americans to see, oh, this is how you can live with this art.
2: Well, and so many of these pictures ended up in American collections, didn't they, because of Durand-Ruel doing the shows there, and also because it was so difficult in Paris at that time. I mean, a lot of them were not well received, were they? Uh,
0: No, not not at first. There was a certain hostility or a a want for tradition. Uh, Durand-Ruel went bankrupt three times, uh, but finally he said, America saved me. And it was because the Americans began to buy and, and, and the broader Europeans began okay. to buy uh, as well, even, even more quickly than in Paris. It's an amazing moment,
2: really, that that explosion. Yes. And, and so many works now in the American museums yes, come yes. from that period of acquisitions. But I think if we, you know, if we talk about the reaction to Impressionism and obviously there was the hostility at the beginning and the shock, we're all so used to it now. But it did really kick off an amazing moment across Europe in modern art. And I think your show, Chris, that you did last year, After Impressionism Inventing Modern Art, is really the kind of, uh, really brings that all together from each country, whether it is in what was going on in Paris, of course, but also in Vienna and in Brussels. And and really these threads of this creative explosion across Europe. I think you've got essentially two threads, haven't you? You've got the one through Cézanne, and moving on towards cubism and directionally all around. Yes, yes. And then you've got everything around colour. I mean, they're these two threads, aren't they? With Van Gogh, uh, Quantism, Neo-Impressionism, as it's also called, mm-hmm. and then the phobes. Um, So, yeah. I mean, it's an extraordinary moment, isn't it?
0: And what we see also there is one generation or half generation of French artists ready to take up and help along the next generation right. as, they, uh, as they emerged on, uh, on the scene to show them how to, how to work in this very complicated new uh, market, how to present themselves as individuals.
2: What a wonderful way to bring in Signac, because am I not right in saying that Signac was 17 yes. when he met Monet?
4: Well, he was 17 when he met Monet's paintings. Ah. He went to see La Vie Moderne, uh, uh, the first show he saw, uh, of a solo show of Monet, and it was such a shock for him that he decided to become an Impressionist painter when he was supposed to be an architect. And then... At that moment he was in um you know the last year of college and he uh, I mean no of high school mm. and he decided not even to take his baccalauréat which w- would be like A level today oh. and he said to his mother I'm just not doing it I'm going to be an impressionist so and um and then he 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 wrote to to Monet and said look uh, uh I need advice uh because he he would very he, he took very very few classes he was totally a, a self-made painter signac uh, uh, out of the bourgeoisie so you know he didn't need the money uh, obviously and he wrote to monet and he said i, I, I would love to meet you and i need advice and and monet replied very kindly and um and they met and they became friends and that friendship you know remained all their life i mean all monet's life um and and it was very important and monet as you said, that that it's a, it's really beautiful that the way that Monet treated Signac, uh, then Signac treated Matisse the mm. same way. Um, he became like an old, sort of old. Uh, Eminence,
2: an Eminence, no. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because yeah.
4: Well, then Signac, mm. because he has this very strong personality, and he was very generous. And um, at the end of his life, because he was at the head of the Salon des Indépendants, which was a huge thing. He would meet all the new young painters and he would uh, host them um, in his house in the south of France or in Paris. And he would play the, the part that Monet or Pissarro played with him. Mm. Even with the Fauves, I mean, Matisse uh, Matisse and Marquet, especially. Mm. So with the oh, yeah. like you can see, yeah. uh, like, this is typical a very monet hmm. uh, way of painting uh, the four the four years of his life for for uh, four first years of his painting life were dedicated to uh Monet and Guillaumin, and Degas of course which was the high admiration of Signac too and and when when Signac is invited by Berthe Morisot um who who she really is the one who went to see the youngsters Signac uh, and Soran and say Come with us and, and and Pissarro, of course. And it was a beautiful uh present that Pissarro and Morizo did to Signac and Sora because the eighth exhibition, the last Impressionist exhibition in 8086. I mean, if you look at the catalogue, it's 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 impressive. You have the Grand Jatte and you have all the the first um, pointiest uh neo-impressionist paintings by Signac. And it's a way for them of showing this new technique, but also to place themselves under the patronage of Impressionists. So uh, I think it's very moving. And La Neige Boulevard de Clichy, it's it's the very, it's the key moment, you know, when Signac turns from total uh, Impressionist painter to Neo-Impressionist. His technique changes uh, very, very softly, though, but it's it's a it was a very famously um snowy winter and uh, he would take his first studio uh next Boulevard de Clichy, just next to Seurat. And so that's the, the moment, the painting that we consider the first pointiest uh
2: technique. I mean I think this is quite interesting that, you know, we we think of the artists and what we know about the artists, but their political uh, presence was quite important yes. in France at that moment. Yeah,
4: that's also a very interesting moment in in Impressionism and Neo Impressionism because we have this um, tragic uh, Dreyfus case in mm. France, which is going to divide uh, the entire society for almost uh, fifteen years, uh, and um, and and of course in the in the field of art. Uh, it's it's very interesting because it's a very clear uh, division between, and it's not between Impressionist or Neo-Impressionist, not at all. It's between, because you have Monet and Signac and Pissarro on the same side, very uh, close, um, the, the very first painters to sign this petition in favor of Dreyfus and Émile Zola. And and then on the other side, you have Renoir, Forin and, um, and Degas, of course, and and, um, and 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 that's a very um, interesting moment also because you can see that the, the the acquaintances between the painters it's not only about the aesthetics right it's about also the, the freedom, freedom of- and and um, mm. and uh, and e- equity justice
2: uh, and their vision uh, mm. of, of of it and what about your great grandfather's private life because that wasn't that conventional was it no it wasn't <laughs>
4: conventional and um well Signac was a very uh, strong personality uh, he would um he would be committed to everything uh as well as a painter a sailor or in political uh movements uh, anarchism and of course in his love life he didn't he, he did things also in a strong way uh he he had um two love in his life two loves a first wife and and then a second Woman And um, when she um, got pregnant, he decided, to, well, he, he was very responsible. So he went to live with this, um, with this lady, but he never divorced. And uh, he um, managed to have his wife, his first wife, who he managed to be the best, her, his best friend. And he managed to have her adopt the child that he had with the other woman. And uh, without trying not to hurt everybody, which was quite a you know a challenge, and he finally made it.
2: And you're a descendant of, of that woman. Of yes, well, I think it's all very French. That's all <laughs> I consider <say>. very French. <laughs> um,
4: my grandmother um, was a painter, Signac's um, daughter, and she was uh, I consider uh, a very good painter. And it's a shame because. Her name was Signac, and that's like a curse for life, you know. It, what was her first name? Ginette, um, Ginette Signac. Yes, uh, and then my mother uh, was just um, she was not a painter; she was an art historian, and she started the catalogue raisonné on Signac, which I I now now I I have the duty to uh, to uh, numerize. How do you say? Yeah, numerize and and redo because it's twenty twenty years old. Um uh, so yes she used to talk about it but she didn't want to be too heavy so it was kind of natural and uh no in fact I, I didn't know when i began to be in charge of the of the archives uh out of duty uh i really didn't know if i would really love uh that much and then when i uh, dived into it um i i realized uh, that he was really a nice person to be around um he he's really a a very interesting figure uh not only because he was a painter uh, but because he was uh, so committed so passionate about everything and he had there's this huge correspondence not only with the artists of his time but all the politics and the writers and and so i think it's it's interesting now to to see what is alongside uh, the paintings and to publish um, all these uh, writings and
2: different um, correspondence. Your mother had a formidable reputation. I I was was a little bit scared of her. When I was a Julia cataloger, I had to write to her in French and ask for for her opinion on a little watercolour by Signac. We were all quite... uh,
0: Daunted by her. You bet so, didn't you, Chris? Yes. yes. Uh, she is <laughs> the founding director of the <laughs> Musée d'Orsay, which is for us in our field, <laughs> the mother of us all.
2: We
0: owe your mother great
2: Cachan. But I think it's not a linear story, this one we're trying to tell of, you know, impressionism, its legacy and the different strands and all these many, many, many um kind of uh, different art movements and, and artists that came out of this. Um, you know, if we look at Monet, for instance, with such a long, long career and by the time you get to the late paintings, which are, you know, right through until, you know, 1920, that's if you think at the same time, you've got, you know, it's already post-Cubism and Monet is still with his water lilies but expanding the canvas onto these large-scale, large-format canvases that seem to you know set the scene for abstraction almost for 20th century abstraction. they're becoming more and more loose more and more just about uh color and you know you think that that is in a way starting the route that will run through the whole 20th century with artists like Rothko uh, you know really set the scene in a way for abstract expressionism and uh some of you may have seen that fabulous show at the Louis Georges in Paris. Uh, I think it was last year, wasn't it? Of uh, Joe Mitchell with with Monet. There was a wonderful dialogue of the artists across, you know, over half a century, but really drawing on on that uh, impressionist um, uh, legacy, really in terms of color and subject and form. But so many artists, I think Eric would say that even today, that impressionism has been something that has really informed their taste and their style and their motivation to become artists in the first place. I mean, you talked about your mother, who was an artist, and she introduced you to impressionists. You know, tell us a bit more about, well, about your art uh, to this audience and also the influences, because it's so interesting to hear it, you know.
3: I... I relate to Impressionism, not just for the end result or the aesthetic or the surface. Basically, I take photographs and I call them like destruction prints because basically they're made over time, but also really quickly. So like this photograph, for example, which I took in Wales, you know, there's probably like 30 layers of color built on top, but in the same manner of like how the Impressionist painted, a lot of it is just very instinctual and very fast. So I might put a, a layer of red on top of the grass. The grass is obviously originally green. The early morning sun was as you see it, but I'll spend a lot of time building color on top in, the, in, a, in a sort of similar way, but also it's not preconceived. Every picture is kind of experimental. So by the time that I get done with it, it might be somewhere totally different than when it started. The photography is sort of chasing light, right? So that's why as a photographer, you're you're shooting early morning, late night to try to get those dramatic sunsets or, like, dramatic light going through the forest that cast shadows, et cetera. Um, so, I mean, light is light. used to be, to me, the most important thing, especially when you're shooting black and white because it's purely compositional. Um, but I think now I would say it's secondary to color. To me, color has become the sort of main character of the picture as opposed to the, the person in it.
2: But it's so interesting, You talk about you know the use of photography because, of course, the Impressionists also use photography in a way. For if you think of Degas, yeah. you know, also to capture the moment and to.
3: I think the Impressionists use photography to then work from, and I use photography almost as
2: the end, as yeah. an opposite,
3: and yeah. in, in terms of to me, the taking of a picture is just the sort of the groundwork the, the and the final product never looks like. The original negative, if you will. I can paint, but you don't want to... I mean, some of them are fine. (laughs) I always wanted to be a painter. My mother taught me how to paint, and she was great. And I was was very jealous. So I tried to figure out how to use photography as a way to make paintings. When you grow up with parents who show you impressionism often and paint with you, all the sort of iconic impressionist paintings... Get sort of locked into your yeah. mind as a kid so you end up you know like none of these pictures were s- i set out to make like you were saying with joan mitchell and monet you can go through art history and make these comparisons because yeah. we're always absorbing things around us it worked the other <laughs> way as well because the yeah.
0: first impressionist exhibition is in the studio of the great photographer nadar and they are choosing to say look where is modernist photography? No, no, that? but that there is a synchronicity yes. that yes. that they've always understood. Well, I mean, I think
3: for me, I photographed for 10 years with black and white. You know, I had a very conservative idea of what mm. photography was. Like, I, they, you know, Brisson, I only used film, very street cinematic, derivative black and white French photographs. <laughs> and then I was like, I really don't actually love photography i love painting but i don't want to spend all the time learning how to paint better so let me try to figure out how to paint with photography and i don't mean that in terms of the end result again it's really the process because Mm. um the way that even though it's digital oftentimes now in terms of layering color it really is about an additive process Mm. whereas photography inherently is reductive yes you know you're taking from the world Um, Whereas painting, you're adding onto your canvas.
2: Well, I think before we conclude, I would like to thank our panelists. uh, Really, really to Chris, we're looking forward to seeing the blockbuster Van Gogh show at the National Gallery, which opens on the 14th of September, Van Gogh Poets and Lovers. Um, Eric, we're looking forward to your forthcoming book, The Tapestry, published by Thames and Hudson, hitting the bookshops in mid-September. And thank you so much, Charlotte, for coming over from Paris, telling us your personal stories and the stories of of your great-grandfather, Signac. It's been absolutely wonderful to be joined by Christopher Riopelle, Charlotte Elman-Cachin and Eric Madigan Heck tonight. And thank you all for joining us.
1: This was Sotheby's Talks. Thank you for joining us. To step further into the world of Sotheby's, you can visit any of our galleries around the world. They're open to the public. For more information, visit Sotheby's.com. Thanks for listening. This was an episode of Sotheby's Talks from Sotheby's and Intelligence Squared. To listen to more episodes, just search Sotheby's Talks wherever you get your podcasts.